Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are continuing in our series called Playlist, and what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the book of Psalms, and in the book of Psalms, we're looking at different songs. In fact, we called it God's Divine Playlist for Our Lives. And uh, just as we would have a playlist for when we work out or when we uh, go on date night or a playlist that we have when the kids are in the car, this is a divine playlist from God. And so today we're looking at Psalm 25. And if you would turn there, what we've been looking at though, is we've been looking about how to live the blessed life. This has been on our playlist, how to live the blessed life. We've been talking about how uh, to get out of the elevator of anxiety We've been talking about last week how to live a life of integrity, and this week we're going to be talking about shame. In fact, the title of today's message is Shame on Who? Because I think we've all struggled with shame at some point in our lives. Now, I want to give us a little background, a little context of Psalm chapter 25, um, because it's important for us to understand why this was written and what was going on, because this was written by a guy named David. And you might have heard of him. He's written a lot of the Psalms. But uh, chapter 25 is written what I believe is towards the end of his life. He's writing this. He's seen a lot. He's done a lot. He has had many valleys and many mountaintop experiences in his life. And he's writing this psalm. And as we read through it, and as you read through it, you're going to see that there are many things that are haunting David's life. And the main thing that's haunting him is his shame. This week, as I was looking into this idea and this topic of shame, I came across this quote that said, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed, therefore unworthy of belonging, of love, and connection. Maybe you're here today and that quote resonates with you. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel unworthy of love, You feel like you're unworthy of belonging and you don't have a connection. You just feel this strong, painful feeling that you are the worst person in the world, that the things that you've done in your past are the worst things. And it's so strong of a feeling that it's overwhelming you and it begins to take us away from the things that we're called to do and it distracts us from our identity and who we really are in Christ. But I don't want us to confuse shame and humiliation today. Like if you're humiliated, then you have shame. Because there's a big difference between humiliation and shame. And I want to illustrate it for you today by telling you a humiliating story in my life that then brought me to shame. Uh, For most of my college life, I worked at a coffee shop. So I was a barista. And uh, this coffee shop served tea, coffee, and food. So there was a lot going on. And being a college student, I, I divide up my time. I want to make sure that during the week, school was school, and at the weekends, work was work. And so I worked three 10-hour shifts. And that's a lot to work in three days, especially at a coffee shop. But in New Mexico, it does not rain a whole lot. And so on the weekend, when it was raining, it's, the employees called it, that's when all the stupid people came out. Because a lot of people would ask a lot of dumb things. And they would say, you know, you might have heard, there's no such thing as a dumb question or stupid question. There is, okay? Trust me. If you've ever worked in the restaurant business, you know that there is such thing as dumb questions. But 
I had a lot of these questions. It was, a, it was gonna be a bad day, I could tell. Because when I showed up at four in the morning, I had a coworker who liked to work in the back, never liked to get in the front and serve people. And then throughout the day, people were calling out. It was a recipe for disaster. And I could feel it and I could sense it. And so I'm working and I'm serving people. I'm getting behind the counter. Then I'm making the food. Then I'm running and making the drinks. And I'm all over the place. And it's coming towards the end of my shift and I see this man and woman come in and they're holding hands and they go and they find their table and I'm just sitting at the counter while they're still like trying to find their place and I get there and I was like, what can I get for you today? And she said something that wasn't the first time I heard it, wasn't even the first time I heard it this day or this week or the first time I've heard it in my life. This was a question I had been asked for a long time and it's, do you have any tea? Now, Part of the name of this coffee shop had the word tea in it. And as I'm standing behind the counter, there's a huge wall of tea. Like I'm talking like three shelves of tea. You can't miss the tea. And so I said these words. I said, are you blind? They're all behind me. I needed a little Jesus this day. All right. I don't, I don't excuse the behavior. That's what I said. And it was, it was the worst thing that I could have said, but I was frustrated in the moment. I was tired of it. And she looked at me and she said, why, yes, I am blind. Do you have tea? And I went, oh no, that's the worst thing in the world. Why did I say that? That's humiliation. But this is where it turned to shame because then I had to describe the teas. Then I had to go and I had to serve them later. I had to walk past them as I served other people or I would clean up the restaurant. I had to continually, as I walked by them, be reminded of my shame of why did I say that? Why did I say those things? She doesn't deserve to be talked that way. What was I thinking? Why was I doing that? And I was filled up with so much shame in my heart and in my soul and in my life. I wanted to run away that day and never come back. I thought, why am I so messed up? But see, I think we've all struggled with shame at one time or another. We've all wanted to run away in our shame before. Now, chances are your shame didn't come at a time when you told a blind person, can't you see? But our shame looks many different ways. And we've all dealt with it. And this psalm, Psalm 25, is going to be our marching song, our our song that we can sing as we battle shame in our lives. Let's look at what David says in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let my enemies, let not my enemies exalt over me. In these first two verses, we see the battle, the war that's raging on inside of David. And it's this war against the shame that he's facing. He's talking about it. He's like, I've got this enemy and it's surrounding me. It's coming in on me. And this enemy is his shame. And it's the reminder of his past sins in his life. And maybe as you're reading these verses, as you're seeing these first two verses, maybe for you, you're reminded of your shame. And this resonates with you. And let me tell you, you're in good company because even a man after God's own heart was still haunted by his shame. 
And he's surrounded by this and it's flooding his heart and his mind and his soul. And he's calling out to God. He's saying, God, take this shame from me. It's overwhelming me. I can't do this anymore. I can't handle it. Let me trust in you. I think what we're seeing here in these just these two verses is just how heavy of an emotion shame is in our life. See, I think it's a lot bigger and a lot stronger than we ever give it credit for. And this is where David, in these first two battles, he's battling this shame. And maybe you're here today and you know exactly what this is like because you feel this as well. Maybe you're here today and you're reminded of some sin in your past. You're a believer, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but there's still some sin that you're being reminded of. Maybe you're reminded of your shame, of some words that you said in the heat of a moment that you wish you could take back, but it's destroyed relationships. And so you have shame over that. Or maybe for you, in your past, you were watching some things, you were addicted to some things, and that's not you anymore, but you feel shameful about those things. Or maybe for you, it's a divorce, a failed marriage, and you feel shame overtake you in the fact that you're not married anymore, you don't have that relationship, you think about that night. Or maybe you drive by that house and it's reminding you of the shame that you have. We all have past sins. If you're a believer here today, we all have past sins in our life that we've confessed before God, but we we still feel ashamed of. And there's moments where we feel surrounded by this and it's flooding our hearts and it's flooding our minds and it's flooding our souls and we don't know what to do. We're calling out to God and we're saying, take this shame from me. Let this come out of my life. It's overtaking me. I want some relief in my life from this shame. And David is wrestling with the shame. And then all of a sudden in verse three, he has this moment of clarity. It shifts everything. And he says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. See, after he says this, it kind of shifts his conversation. He says, hey, no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. He has this moment of clarity where he realizes that God is for him and that God is with him. And what David is going to do for the rest of this psalm is show us what it looks like to battle our shame every day and how to walk in our identity in Christ. And so if you feel this way, if this resonates with you, then um, the first thing that David's going to teach us as we battle shame is we have to fight shame by obeying God's word. We have to fight shame by obeying God's word. Look at what verse four says. It says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. The first step of getting rid of shame is that we need to obey God. Again, David's brought to this place. He's wrestling with his shame and he's hearing two voices going on in his mind. He's hearing shame say, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. You're that sin. You're that problem. This is your forever identity. And then he has the voice of God saying, no, no, no. Don't believe that for a second. That's not who you are. You know, you're a man after my own heart. You know that I'll never leave you or forsake you, that I love you. Don't you believe any of this for a second? 
And so he's battling his shame and then he has this moment of clarity. And then basically what verse four and five are telling us is that David's like, hey, just stop for a minute. God, teach me to obey you. Take me to school, God. I want to learn from you. In fact, there's three verbs that we need to look at in in verses four and five. It's to know, it's to teach, and it's to learn. Those are action. What it's showing us is that David isn't going to just sit back and say, you know, I really hope my shame goes away or I'm just going to believe leave this shame to go away. No, he's wanting to take action. And he's like, Lord, would you teach me how to obey you? I can't do this on my own. God, please teach me. We might hear this and we might be thinking, well, why is he saying this? Why is he asking God to teach him and and to teach him how to obey? Because again, like I said, this isn't young, naive David who, you know, needs to learn a few things, you know, like he has no clue what's going on. This is an older, mature David. He's been around the block. He knows some things. He should know how to obey God and what the right choice is. But the reality is that sometimes the longer we're Christians... The longer we've been in church, it's easy for us to think, well, you know, I know how to obey God. I know how to please God. And that can be a dangerous place for us to be. Because when we feel like we know what's the best decision for our life, when we feel like we know what path we need to take and what's the right choice for us, and we know like this is the right career path or this is the right relationship, and we don't invite God in the conversation at all, what we are displaying is a faith in ourself, and that is a dangerous place to be. We're not displaying faith in God. We're not saying, God, even though I can't see everything, I know you're leading me and guiding me and directing me this way. Even though I can't see everything, God, I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to trust myself. That's dangerous. When we obey God, we're showing our faith in him that everything's going to be okay. See, faith and obedience are inseparable. And David is like, God, take me to school so that I can have my faith in you so that my shame can be gone. David knows firsthand how sin can lead him down the wrong path. He knows where it can take him. And he's like, I'm tired of having faith in myself, faith that I know what's best. I need to have faith in you, and I need to obey your word so I don't go down this shameful path again. See, for us to fight shame in our lives, we need to be obedient as well. And it all starts by getting into God's word. You might be here today, and there might be some things in your life that you feel ashamed of. If people found out about you, you would want to run and hide like I wanted to run and hide that day at the coffee shop. Or maybe you're here today and in your sin, or maybe in your past sins, you have ran and you have hid from God. So many times our sin and our shame will keep us from God's word, but that's not how it's supposed to be. In our sin and our shame, we should run to God's word. We need to take action when it comes to sin and shame in our lives. Like David is taking action in his life. Sometimes it's really hard to come into God's word because we just don't know how to talk to God or we feel shamed when we come and we talk to God and we have this fear of what's God going to say to me or what's God going to do to me or what's going to happen to me. There's no way that God's going to accept me. We think what happens when God finds out what kind of sinner I actually am? He's going to drop me like a bad habit. But here's what you need to know. Obedience leads to holiness, righteousness, and freedom. Sin only adds shame and condemnation. See, if you want to be free from shame, you need to walk in the freedom of sin. And it only comes from obeying God's word.
And then look at what he says next in verse 6. Verses 6 and 7. He says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. If we're going to battle shame in our life, the second thing is we fight shame by remembering what God has done. I don't know if you noticed in verses 6 and 7, David said remember three times. It's almost like David is giving us a remember sandwich right here in these verses. He's saying, remember your love and your mercy. Don't remember my sins. Don't remember the the past sins in my life. Don't, Don't remember my transgressions. But remember me because of your love and because you are good. This remember sandwich is important for us. Because when it comes to shame, shame loves to remind us of who we are. Shame loves to steal our identity and to take us away and say, hey, you're the worst person in the world. This is the worst thing you've ever done in your life. But David is like, God, don't remember me at my worst. Remember me because of your love and your grace in my life. Now, why would David say this? Why is he like, God, remember Because is he thinking like God just woke up one day and went, ah, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Like, what am I forgetting here? Oh, that's right, my love and my mercy. No, that's not what happens at all. Love and mercy are in God's nature. That's who he is. He can't help but be those things. But what is David doing? I've mentioned this before, but I've said like when we gather together and we worship, we're not just singing a bunch of songs just to sing them or because God is some egotistical maniac up in heaven saying, tell me how great I am. But often when we gather together and we sing, we need to be reminded of who God is in light of all of our problems, the trials and the troubles we face in our life. That's what David is doing here. He's out loud reminding himself of how big God is over his shame. He's like, God, you are bigger than all of my shame. David needs to remember out loud God's love for him in his life. He needs to know that God's love is still a thing, no matter his situation and his circumstances. He needs to know that God would never abandon him, never leave him or forsake him. He needs to know that he can never lose his hope in God. And most importantly, he needs to know that God is never losing his hope in him. And he has this moment where he's saying, remember your love. Now, we do this all the time when we gather with our family. We'll often say, do you remember when? Do you remember this time? Do you remember how this happened? Do you remember what went on here? You know, Jen and I, on uh, May 19th, we celebrated 14 years of marriage, right? 14? I got it right? Okay, I got it right. So 14 years of marriage, and uh, she's put up with me for that long. And so she uh, will get extra riches in heaven. I know that for sure. But often that week of celebrating, what we would do is say, hey, do you remember the feelings we had this day? Do you remember what you were doing this time 14 years ago? Do you remember the feelings that you had? She would tell me, do you remember chewing gum on stage while we were getting married? Do you remember the fact that we still love each other as much as we did on that day when we got married? We are remembering, we are recalling those things. Or there's times where we felt insecure in our love for one another. And we might say, well, do you remember when we used to sit outside your parents' house and talk for hours and hours in the car because gas was only 79 cents? So who cares how long you're out there? 
Remember how we used to take walks at night and talk about our hopes and our dreams. Do you, I would tell Jen, do you remember the night that I proposed to you and how weird and awkward it was? Or do you remember the first time I told you that I loved you? When Jen and I are reminded of those moments, the memories start flooding into our lives. It's like waves crashing on a beach and we are reminded of the love that we have for each other. If you want to have some freshness in your life, some freshness in your love and in your relationships, you need to remember as well. Remembering love will reduce shame in your life. You need to remember love to reduce shame. And we get a picture of what this looks like in John chapter 8, when love comes face to face with shame. And if you're not familiar with it, it's the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus is in full ministry mode here. He's teaching. He's uh, teaching about his hope and his um, truth and his love and his grace. And he's teaching uh, with all these people who've gathered in the temple that day. And then all of a sudden, the priests and Pharisees come in on the scene. And they burst in and they're like, hey, Jesus, we caught this woman caught in adultery. What should we do? We should kill her, right? Now, of course, the priests and the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They wanted to kill him. But John will tell you over and over again, it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. And so these priests and Pharisees are like, we should kill her. And I was just thinking as I was reading that story this week, I was just thinking, man, this woman caught in adultery. How embarrassed must she have felt? You know, she comes in and she's brought before all these people, all these people surround her. She had to have felt shame as well. She's standing before all these religious leaders. She's even standing face to face with the Savior of the world, God himself in human flesh. She had to feel shame. She had to be running a scenario in her mind like, what did I do? Why did I get here? Why didn't I say no to these things? Why am I doing these types of things? I got to say no. I got to stop this stuff. She's got to be feeling shame. And so the priests and the Pharisees are like, Jesus, shouldn't we kill her? And I like to think that they were kind of acting like our kids do when we go on trips. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They're kind of going, should we kill her? Should we kill her? Should we kill her? And Jesus doesn't say anything. And what he does is he kneels down and he starts writing in the sand with his finger. And they keep pestering Jesus. They keep telling him, like, should we kill her? And he stands up again and he says, he who has no sin, you can throw the first stone. And then he kneels back down and he continues riding in the sand. And then one by one, they all start leaving until it's just Jesus and this woman. And I love what Jesus does next. He says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Jesus' words made it very clear that day that everyone struggles with sin. Now, no one knows what Jesus was writing in the sand, but what I like to think it is, is he was writing all the sin and all the shame and all those priests and Pharisees' lives. And so when they started to see their sin right there in the dirt, as they started to see the things that they're ashamed of in the dirt, they had to get out of there because they didn't want to be associated with that. They ran and they hid from God. See, everyone that day was well aware that they are all worthy of shame and judgment of their sins. But the nature, the very nature of Jesus is to set us free from our shame. Shame had no place in her life and shame has no place in our life as, as well. 
If you're a believer here today, if you're following Jesus, if you've confessed those sins, those struggles, those things to Jesus, and you've left them there, and you're like, God, forgive me of whatever it is that you're struggling with. Jesus has forgiven you. No matter how shameful we think our thoughts are, our words are, our actions are, Jesus is is able to undo all of those things with his love and his grace, just like he did with this woman caught in adultery. If you're here today and you are in sin, if you are realizing that you haven't confessed sins in your life, then you're living in shame. But Jesus can undo all of that as well with his love and his grace. And in a few moments, I want to give you an opportunity to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus and not live with shame anymore. See, shame leads us to believe that we're unlovable, we're undeserving, we cannot belong to God. But this is in direct conflict with the love of God through Jesus. Jesus isn't the originator of shame. He's the answer to it. God sent his son Jesus to exchange our shame for his love. Shame tells us that we're never going to be good enough, that these are our sins. This is how we'll ever be marked with our lives. But Jesus gives us love. We may keep records of all of our wrongs and all the things that we've done. But if you've confessed your sins, if you've laid those before the feet of Jesus and you've turned from those sins, the Bible tells us that God keeps no records of our wrongs. See, you don't have to live under guilt, shame, condemnation anymore. You can live under grace and love and forgiveness that comes with Jesus. And so we fight our shame by remembering what God has done. And if you don't know how to talk to God about your shame, Just remember verses six and seven. Start with this remember sandwich. Just say, Jesus, do you remember? Do you remember that you know how many hairs are on top of my head? Jesus, do you remember that you came and died for sinners like me? Jesus, do you remember how you forgave this woman who was caught in adultery and you forgave her? Jesus, would you forgive me as well? Jesus, do you remember that you said, in this world I will have troubles and trials and tribulations, but you've overcome the world, and because you've overcome the world, I can as well. Jesus, do you remember? I'm telling you, when you start conversations this way, it's going to change how you view yourself in light of your shame. It's going to change your relationship with Jesus. There will be a closeness. There will be a relationship there. You won't want to run and hide. You will run to Jesus. And then he closes in verse 20. He says, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. If we're fighting our shame, we need to fight our shame with prayer. Psalm 25, we've called it a song, and it is that, but it's also David's personal prayer between him and God. And I love that we have it, that God put it in our Bibles for us to read today. And I love this prayer because as you read, later you could go home and read this, but read chapter 25 because it's this ebb and flow, this up and down, um, almost kind of like feelings going on in David's life. At first he's like, I'm the worst in the world, Lord, but you're so great. Would you forgive me? God, I don't know that you can ever forgive a sinner like me, but God, I know that you can forgive. It's this up and down thing. But as he keeps praying, he's getting to the cold culmination here, the climax of verse 20. And he's saying, God, remember, 
And as he gets closer to this, his prayers get bigger because he's seeing that God's going to meet him where he's at. He's believing that God is for him, not against him, that God will forgive him, not hold things against him. And he's like, hey, God, don't just redeem me, redeem all of Israel. And in true God nature, God hears David's prayer. And years and years and years and years from now, God's going to answer that prayer. Because that word redeem means to make payment on their behalf. To take them out of the sin cycle of shame. And when David prayed this to, to deliver all of Israel, I'm sure he thought this was like one of the biggest prayers he could ever pray in his life. He's probably like, this is so huge. I don't know, God, if you could do it, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith that you could deliver all of Israel. And God's like, I'm going to do so much more than that. I'm not only going to deliver all of Israel, but I'm going to deliver all of the world because I'm going to send my son Jesus into this world to live the life you could not live. He's going to then be arrested and beaten and bruised and falsely accused of a lot of things. Never sinning once, never having shame once. He's going to be going to the cross to take shame for all of us. So when shame comes at you and says, shame on you, you shouldn't have done that thing. You can say, shame on who? Because your shame is on Jesus. Jesus carried the symbol of shame for us, the cross. The cross was for people who were seen to be the worst of the worst. They were the enemies. They were the traitors. Jesus was none of those things. But he was put to shame. Our shame may come in many different forms. My shame came at telling a blind woman, can't you see? Your shame may look like something you said or did last night. Maybe it's something that you're not super proud of in your life. You have shame over decisions. You might even right now have shame in your life, realizing that you haven't confessed certain sins. You've ran and you've hid from God. And you realize right now, sitting in your sin, that you are ashamed of how you are living your life. But Jesus came to put an end to shame. And he took that cross all the way up on that hill and they nailed him to the cross. And as he was dying, he was filled with our sin and with our shame. And Jesus said these three words, it is finished. And he took his last breath and sin and shame were defeated once and for all. And Jesus wouldn't remain dead. In fact, he rose three days later and he had a message. And his message was, you are not your shame. You are loved. See, when it comes to shame, shame would love to tell you, no, no, no. This is who you are. You're these sins. You are those things. This is what you are. But Jesus would come to you and say, no, take my identity. You are worth dying for. Shame tries to steal us. Jesus has taken us and bought us back. If you're a believer here today, if you've confessed your sins before the Lord, but you still feel shame and guilt and regret over what you've done, please know you don't have to walk out of here today feeling that shame anymore. You're not your divorce. You're not your addiction. You're not that season of life that you're going through. You are loved and Jesus is for you. Jesus has taken all of your sin and all of your shame. I would really encourage you to uh, memorize this verse from, uh, second, or from 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, we are healed. The next time you feel like shame is telling you, shame on you, remember what Jesus did for you on that cross. Remember who God says you are and say, shame on who? 
Remember that Jesus took all of your shame and who you are in Christ. And if you're not following Jesus, you're living in sin right now. This can't be your story. Sin is not in your past. But listen, it can be in your past. Because in a few moments, I want to give you an opportunity to give that sin over to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done some things I shouldn't do. I'm living a way that I shouldn't live. And you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you turn to Jesus. You run to him. And in your shame, he will clothe you and you can take on his identity of holiness and righteousness and forgiveness because you will be his son or daughter. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.